We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world was stunned today by the death of Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet. Baby Diego was stabbed outside a bar in Buenos Aires after refusing to sign an autograph. Witnesses at the scene say that Diego spat in the face of a fan who asked for an autograph. He was killed in the ensuing brawl. The fan was later beaten to death by the angry crowd. Born in 2009, the son of Marcelo and Silvio Ricardo, a working-class couple from Mendoza, he struggled all his life with the celebrity status thrust upon him as the world's youngest person. Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet, was 18 years, 4 months, 20 days, 16 hours, and 8 minutes old. Hello and welcome, finally, to the season one finale of Final Review. My name is Andrew Claudio, and on today's show, in a dystopian, but potentially not too distant future, uh, where the world uh, has the reproductive abilities of women is the number one topic uh, and concern for all mankind. So many other relevant themes that may relate to those of you not living in the UK, maybe here in the good old United States of America. Um, One man takes on one mission all in one take as the slightest (laughs) sign of hope could save them all. Turn with us to the book of Psalms, chapter 90, verse number three, where it reads, thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, return ye children of men this movie has a 92 percent on rotten tomatoes on 256 reviews and it received three nominations at the 2007 academy awards for the year 2006 um for original well excuse me for adapted screenplay cinematography which we'll talk a lot about uh and editing um of this movie joining me as always um we are working our way through the uk um Driving backwards at certain points, Mr. Bernard Ozrowski. Oz, um, do you have a statue of David somewhere in your house with its leg missing? Man, this one's a fucking banger, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's so should, good. We should address the elephant in the room that we put out the social 
that on social media on our Twitter account that we're doing Children of Men this week. And here we are five weeks later. I was going to say that this week, a month ago. <laughs> and we have it. We're just now putting it out. The amount of personal stuff that's come up, as you know, Oz in his day job does much more important things. Um, I, dis- I disagree with that. There's much more time consuming things. How's that? Fair, fair. Okay. And so Oz got hung, got his focus on his, his real job was, was came primary for a while. Um, I uh, may or may not have uh, tested the COVID gods one too many times. <laughs> and uh, we had to push it back a couple, couple more days, but um, the, the crazy part, which we were just discussing before Oz is like, yes, this is a dystopian movie. And a lot's happened here in America, especially this week. Um, And yet it still plays on a lot of themes that are relevant, like right now. And if we recorded this three weeks ago, when a leak happened in the Supreme Court about a decision that might be getting overturned, it would be relevant. And this movie came out in 2006. So like the themes being relevant then can kind of be a bummer and... I'm going to take the word kind of out of that sentence. And yet you and I as, as film buffs and, and people who analyze this, I'm just still able to be blown away by, yes, this is like depressing, but oh my gosh, is it amazing to look at? Um, Let's go back to 2006. because I know you saw it for the first time. Then what was your reaction? The first time you saw children of men, and I'm going to preface this. If you want to quibbles and all, if you have them, let's get them out the way. What was your reaction to Children of Men? I, I have to say, I, I don't know if 2006 is the best year of movies of my life. I think it's got a, a place in the conversation, at least at the top. I'm not sure it has the depth, but the top few movies this year for me are just some of my all-time favorites. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess it was kind of a, I don't know, a cinematic awakening year for me. I was writing reviews for the college paper. I was starting to get involved. I, I did my first uh, interview of a famous person this Back in 2006, it was Barry Pepper for Flags of Our Fathers, the Clint Eastwood movie, and it was just a, a it was just a time where where film was becoming an even more integral part of my life, and where I think I was maturing in my tastes and getting away from the sort of 18 year old ethos of you know like a movie needs to be cool and titillating and whatever else. I, I remember. Um, a movie that'll perhaps come up later in, in discussion called uh, the queen that on paper, I was like, why the fuck would I want to see this? Now this mm-hmm. is my, this is my idiot 20 year old brain, 21 year old brain at this point. Why, why would I want to go see that? And then I saw the movie and it was like, Holy shit. Like you, you need to stop closing your mind to different experiences that you can have in the cinema. And there were, there were a, a ton of movies that came out in 2006 that I felt like really opened my eyes and children of men for me is kind of part of a, 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 I don't, I don't know how to parse them. I don't even know right now sitting here, which one is going to finish where in my ranking for the year, but this and Pan's Labyrinth came out the same year and both just uh, absolutely blew me Absolutely blew me away. They're both just, just like spellbinding life altering, cinematic experiences for me that that taught me about the way extremely effective filmmaking craft 
can bleed into the emotion and storytelling of what you're watching. I mean, there's a, a heart in the throat feeling that you get during the one shots in Children of Men, which you simply could not get with some sort of staccato cutting. I'm going to dunk on the gray man, which I haven't seen, but that's the next $200 million Netflix movie. And you watch the trailer for that and you feel kind of dizzy because the car chase, it, it's, it, it doesn't even make sense in your brain here. Everything is so much more visceral because you're, you're trapped in that scenario when the one shot keeps going. I, I just think it's such a remarkable cinematic achievement and it has enough in the acting storytelling place. I just, I really think this is a, a masterful film. The quibbles, I, I think it's a little manipulative. I think the way that they play the relationship with the Julianne Moore character is very manipulative. I think some of the, the Michael Caine stuff is fairly manipulative, but I also don't really care because I think mm -hmm. the overarching themes work. I think the overall prescience of the movie about a lot of elements of our society, you know, whether people can have babies anymore or not are, are just kind of very, very upsetting as we think about all that's going on in the world. But this is, this is, this is a special movie. Yeah. I don't even necessarily disagree with you on the, the manipulation part. I think I accept them a little more because I think it plays on the overarching theme of the movie in that like even a little bit of hope is worth dying for and everybody's mission once they realize there's a little bit of hope and oh wow their new life can become a new in this in this distant world it's worth a sacrifice even if i don't get to see the reap the benefits of that sacrifice which then leads you to the final scene of the movie um so in 2006 i was graduating high school and uh i did not see Children of Men in 2006. Um, I remember its cable run, though. And this is one of those movies that just hit a sweet spot that it was on all the time. I forget if it was Stars or Showtime or HBO, but I would just catch it. And I got to be honest, this is pre pre when I like actually tracked what movies got recognized at the Oscars as much. It was always like. Okay, did my favorite blockbuster get make make it? No, it didn't. Okay, well then the Oscars are stupid. What is this movie where nobody talks and it's black and white? You know, so I didn't realize how well decorated and well regarded Children of Men was. And it's interesting that the three things it gets nominated for the screenplay, the adaptation of the P.W. James or P.D. James, excuse me, book. Um, which we'll talk about the the differences between the book and the movie in a second. Um, I think are are fascinating because the adaptation they 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 switch some things they they reverse a couple of storyline uh things um the editing I would actually attribute more the direction especially when you look at what Quaron you you talk about this I think we even bonded over this the first time we ever talked about a movie and how we appreciate when a director thinks its audience is intelligent and doesn't yep. try to spell things out. And Quaron went out of his way to be like, I don't want heavy dialogue in my movie. I want you to feel these things. And I'd rather show you, not tell you. I trust that you will understand what this person is feeling without this person saying, I feel sad. I feel worried. I feel rushed. And there's so much going on with the Clive Owen performance that you see everything that's happened in his life on his face throughout the performance. And then look, the cinematography, I saved the best for last because 
look, we're, we're, we're going heavy on the cinematography here. We have, we're bringing back the one take category. We're doing an Emmanuel Lubeski top five. And then we're doing best cinematography of all time because for those who don't know, Kobe Bryant once scored 81 points in a basketball game. <laughs> so I refer to certain performances in movies as their 81 point game. For me, this is, this is Chivo's 81 point game. The cinematography in this, aside from the one takes, is just breathtaking and it, it really adds to the tension and the movement of the movie. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm blown away by it every time. Uh, are you aware of the differences between the book and the movie? One, one, one other thing I'd add just oh, before yeah, we, we get to the adaptation here is that I am blown away by the production design in a way that I did not, I, I just didn't, expect and maybe it's because i've been so beaten down over especially like the covid era superhero movies and stuff that all look like they're very clearly filmed in green screens and not in practical effects and everything mm -hmm. here is so tangible and it feels so real and it it, it actually feels like slight futurism even from like 2006 they guessed right on so much stuff from a tech perspective, from like tablets and everything else. Hell, even the the suicide kits look remarkably like what you get a COVID test in, mm -hmm. like the same boxes almost. It, it's really, it's incredibly prescient in the design and I think unbelievably effective. Well, it's, it's actually the things that they predict in the future, not, not even like in, unintentionally watching this movie in 2000, 2022 realized he came out in 2006 and it's like, Oh, we're still talking about that. And it works and it's worse. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There are kids in cages in these scenes. Holy shit. Um, so there are two elements that at least that I found on, on the couple of rewatches that I did where there's a building in the opening sequence where Theo goes to get coffee. Right. There's a building in the background. It's a tall pointed building that you can see in the background. The building is called the Shard. And it began construction in 2009. And so Quaron looked at the building plans of that, like of that building when they were filming it in 2005 and said, okay, for a movie I'm setting in 2027, I'm putting this building in the background so that way it matches what the city will look like in the future then you add in the the london 2012 olympic shirt which yeah. like we've seen we saw those olympics that was the the redeem team or i guess the 08 lebron kobe Dwayne wade team was the redeem team the 2012 was the one with kevin durant where they argued that it was just as good as the dream team for me, it was the one with Daniel Craig pretending to parachute into oh. the Olympic Stadium. So for me, it was <laughs> the, the one where we got to see the original, the, the one where Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving decided they wanted to play together. And then, you know, look what happened after that. Uh, having said all of that, um, the, the I'm with you. The attention to detail, the, the production design, the costumes, they, there's, an, there's a care for all of this that adds to the elements adds to why this movie is so effective like the screenplay because we're going to go into categories not doing today i'm glad you don't take cream with sugar Abita. losing you baby diego on the same day would be too hard to bear well that was even worse everybody crying i mean baby diego come on the guy was a wanker yeah but he was the youngest wanker on earth pull my finger quick quick, quick oh jasmine quick. Not Oh, fucking! It's disgusting. 
Illegal immigrants taking them to Bex Hill. Poor Fugis, after escaping the worst atrocities and finally making it to England, our government hunts them down like cockroaches. First one is adapted screenplay. Now we have we have a solid ten. I will say that, but. I mean, this movie was nominated for its screenplay. It's adapted from the P.D. James book. The big change that they make is that in... I've read it, by the way. Have you read you it? You have. No, yeah. I haven't. Oh, well, the big change, Oz, is what? The Who's sterile? Mm-hmm. The, the men are shooting blanks in the book, as opposed to here, where the women can't get pregnant, which I think is a... I mean, P.D. James is a woman. This is kind of... Um, it's kind of an important thematic shift that they've made here and one that does, I think in some ways feel very Hollywood, but uh, it, it does tinker with a lot of the, I think underlying qualms. And I think actually in a lot of ways the, the film ages better and is more effective. Now I, I haven't read the book in 15 years. I read it around the time I saw the film for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm struck by the notion that it, it is probably more effective narratively that it would be blamed on women rather than on rather than on men, even if it is actually you know men, men's fault. Mm-hmm. It just seems like the 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 focus of blame in this film is more effective for how the world would work. Yeah. The other big one is that the the Claire Hope Ashity character, the the woman that gets pregnant that become it's a mission to get her you know out of london uh she doesn't exist in the book um they they created this character quan actually chose not to read the original novel because he uh feared it would compromise his vision for the project and pd james said like this is even with the changes and all i actually think this is a pretty accurate and not, not necessarily accurate but like a satisfying adaptation of my book because even though you switch the fertility you just hit it like the themes are there like yeah the 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 quest for power and how man i I, the 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 blaming of immigrants in this movie it just hits home so hard the the cages that are just so prevalent throughout the movie are just are visceral and relatable and it's frustrating and it's why, you know, you understand why if you just tinker with some of the differences from the book, from the screen, from the from the book to the movie, that it's still an OK comp, you know, it's also a good lesson that adaptation is not about, you know, slavish devotion to the underlying text. It's right. telling a story in a new medium, but taking sort of the underlying thematic resonance and trying to make it work. It's why I want to drink bleach every time I hear people complaining that, oh no, oh no, they changed. What's this week's du jour? Kamala Khan's powers from the comic books. Who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Like, did they get the essence of the character? Did they get the essence of what it's like to be a Pakistani Muslim girl in Jersey city in high school? That that's what should matter. Not like, oh no, she has like ill-defined diamond flashy powers instead of embiggening shucks deal with it yeah jerry west adaptation <laughs> it is really it's the jerry west thing 100 percent accurate although listen, we've never talked about winning time some of the things i will just say some of the things are a little egregious having said that i actually think the show is extremely well done but that that's that's winning time corner if if i can just go there for a second um the other things we're not doing um michael kane 
Um, I don't think he was in it enough. I don't think this would place for either of us. It no, might not even close for me. So there you go. Wouldn't even place for either of us. He plays Jasper Palmer. Um, uh, Kane based Jasper on his experiences with his friend, John Lennon. Ever heard of him? Um, the first time he had portrayed a character who had, who would pass wind and smoke cannabis. That is the Wikipedia description of the character. Smoke cannabis, my cocaine. Um, I, I, I do. I, I know you, you said it's part of your quibbles. I actually do think that scene is very effective, at least for me. Least. I do. I, I think it's effective, too. I, I think a lot of it's effective. I just think it's, you know, pretty flagrantly manipulative. You could be it could be effective and manipulative. I just watched Top Gun again and it's Top Gun, too. Oh. And it's <laughs> incredibly manipulative and unbelievably effective. So. I'm hoping to test negative tomorrow and be able to go see it. So we'll see. Uh, speaking of manipulative, Julianne Moore, as you mentioned, I got to be honest, I'd forgotten how little of the movie she's in it. I, I thought that I thought that first tracking shot where she gets shy was like midway through the movie, not yep. in the first 15 minutes of the movie. Um, I got I will say, though, like. Because she's part of that scene, it wouldn't rank for me, but that is one of the things I think of when I think of Julianne Moore. I entirely think of her in this movie, and I, I think it's a, a tribute to her performance here that it feels like she's in, I don't know what, what this movie is, let's say it's two hours, it feels like she's in, you know, 90-ish minutes of it before she bites it. I mean, that mm -hmm. that's a that's a pretty impressive, you know, like gut feel on a project. The one I think we could have considered, but I, I thought it made more sense to focus more on the filmmaking and really give Clive Owen, because this, this is his I Am Legend, you know? Like, this is his one-man show where other accomplished, incredible supporting actors show up and they're, they're really good. But she was LGF for, I thought, that guy. could have had a case to, I, I mean, after watching him being wasted in... uh Doctor Strange to then see him in this be like, oh, you're given stuff to do. Oh, yeah. great. Um, I thought there could have been a chance and maybe when we do a movie next season where he is part of the the top fives we do, he might even rank, at least for me. Um, but I, I again, I think the, the 10 categories we chose, while I, admitting I think the edgy for arc is one that I'm fascinated by, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Charlie Hunnam. Yeah, Charlie, Charlie Hunnam with White Boy Dreadlocks. Yes. Um, so, so. I didn't go back and look. Did this get him the role in Sons of Anarchy or did one happen before the other? This has to be before Sons. I'm not, sure be before. Exact, I'm not sure the exact timeline, but I, I would... Yeah, Sons is 2008. This is 2006. Okay. This, is a, this is after he was on Undeclared. That oh, terrible, that. terrible Judd Apatow show with Jay Baruchel. Oh, Jay Baruchel. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of Jay Baruchel. I think he's like the same in a lot of things. I, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of Charlie Hunnam. And then he like magically went and became a good actor after, after Sons of Anarchy. His accent just not never, not yeah, good. throughout yeah, not that good. whole show. And I have, I have a couple of friends who love that show and they swear by it. And I watched season one and it's like Charlie Hunnam's attempting to sound like a redneck. <laughs> it's not that, good. That whole, that whole season. Like, what I, are you guys swearing by? I, there are other great yeah. AMC shows. I promise you. <laughs> I think that's one of those shows where it's like it gets better and better and better for like four years, and then by the end, it's kind of like Dexter. By the end, it's like downright embarrassing. I was about to say it's Dexter. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally about to say it's like Dexter. it. It really there. There's a there's a season in the middle there. I I think it goes seven years. I think it's the fourth year. That's really fucking good. But mm. oof, boy, does it end badly. 
ironically, just like Dexter, De- yeah. the, the Trinity Killer is season four. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, so it's like the exact season. same thing. Yeah, there you go. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, I never understood how you got over it so quickly. You think I got over it? No one could get over it. I live with it. I yeah, think about come him on. I mean, every the way you just day. You don't have on. a monopoly on suffering, you know. You always carry this memory like a ball. You fucking chain. know about I my memories. You don't know oh, what no. I feel or whether... Oh, yeah, there you go. It's what you always do. When it gets tough, you walk away. Do your part. This is our stop. All right, Oz. I think it's finally time. Are you ready to do a final review of the darling of this podcast, Children of Men? Hell yeah. Let's do it. The categories we are doing today, Alfonso Cuaron, our director, Clive Owen performances, films shot by Emmanuel Lebeski, and then some redux. We're going back and redoing our one-shot categories, redoing our individual action scene categories, our dystopian film category, um, science fiction movies category. Uh, And then we're going back to 2006 and doing our top five from that year, our top five of the 2000s. And we're wrapping up season one with a doozy of a category, um, cinematography, just all cinematography ever. And listen, I, I think there's a theme of season one is that Oz's catalog is significantly more vast than mine. I'm actually very curious what Oz's top five cinematography ever are. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see. It's actually, I think it's rare for me on this. I think it's going to be a pretty, classical list. I think it's mm-hmm. something that a, a cinematographer would hear and go, eh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. Uh, okay. Well, we'll start with a director named Alfonso Cuaron. His Children of Men, a top five film directed by Alfonso Cuaron. A um, couple things about some choices that he made. He did not want a film that ends when the credits roll. Um, he wanted to make a film that um, when the final credits roll, it's really the beginning of the film is the exact quote. He wanted to leave it somewhat ambiguous. So you in your head play the story on again, show me, don't tell me it's why I love some of the directional choices he makes. Um, yeah, I, I, I am a fan of Alfonso Cuaron. How about you? Uh, he's awesome. I'm, I was sort of surprised and I guess it makes sense. Like I, I knew it if I did the math that he only has seven eight movies, something like that. I think there's a Mm. like early career sex comedy I haven't seen, but he has like seven movies basically. And that that's all there is for the filmography here. And I I really think five of them are extremely special, Mm. uh, which I certainly can't say about all the directors that we've, we've covered here. He also, he takes big gaps between 
movies. There's a lot of sort of like five years off here, seven years off here sort of things. And I think there's a new Quaron coming later this year, which is something that I, I think uh, we should be very, very excited about. Interesting. Well, I'm excited for said new Alfonso Cuaron movie. The other big directional choice he made was to not explain the cause of the um, actually, you know, fertility. What's up? I, I have to tell you, it's not. I just checked it. This is so fucking depressing. What's up? It's not a movie. He's making a fucking TV show. Oh no, he Barry Jack, he Barry Jenkins did a fucking oh, no. a fucking TV show for Apple with Kate Blanchett. And- <laughs> We like Apple TV. I love my Apple TV. Yeah. But I want to. I want to watch fucking Alfonso Cuarón on the big screen. You I have wa- a big screen TV. I do, but not big enough. I, I want to watch Alfonso Cuarón at the Lincoln Center IMAX where please, it belongs. Please tell me, like Lubeski is doing it too. Is he really? You're putting Lubeski in our home. Lubeski and Cuarón on a TV screen. Fuck that. Oh man. Okay. I also am a little depressed. Okay. Um. Anyway, oh my uh, god, that is just the end times. If if Quaron and Lubeski can't get a movie on the big screen, that's just I, I mean, I, I don't know what I'm talking about because Roma was a fucking streaming mm-hmm. thing too, but they at least released it. I'm sure Apple will do a know. token release like they did with Coda, but no one's going to see the movie that way. So, this is a movie, not a show. Oh, sorry, right? a show. Oh, yeah, it's a show. It's a show. It's a 12 episode show. So I, my brain show. is, I'm okay. like autocorrect. Oh my god, <laughs> listen. As much as it was like on my my TV and I I I needed the lights to be out, the cinematography and severance is really great. So Apple does have a does have well, a track record. You every know. Apple show is incredibly yeah. well. Like Servant is beautiful to look at. All their even uh, for all mankind is fucking great. So I I I, I Apple's the best home it could have. Mm-hmm. But man, mm-hmm. oh that's such a bummer. Yes. Let's go back to the happy subject and talking about the dystopian movie where women can't reproduce anymore. Um, speaking of which, I mentioned the uh, infertility being switched from male to female, but uh, Quaron never chose to explain uh, the cause, um, whether it be environmental destruction, and divine punishment. Uh, all of this isn't considered. The unanswered question and others in the film have been attributed to his dislike of expository film, which is what I mentioned. He, um, cinema is the hostage of narrative, is his direct quote. It's become now what I call a, a medium for lazy readers. And I'm very good at narrative as a hostage of cinema. <laughs> I I can hear you in in that quote. <laughs> what a what a lord, man. Um, okay, you mentioned the the smallness of his filmography, but let's rank it. What were your top five Alfonso Cuarón films? This this is. I have to say, on a different day, I I actually think that the top five could take any order. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Children of Men with my mm. number one spot, but it, it's not clear to me. And in fact, if I went back and watched some of these other ones, you know, more free, I, I just, there are easy ways where I could imagine that this is not, not his number one, but I, mm. I, I do think it, I do think it's the best film he's made would distinct from his best directed. And I kind of think that his best directed movie may actually end up fifth on this list for me. Uh, number two is a, a film called Etu Mama Tambien, which shouldn't surprise listeners who are familiar with this movie that the the road trip of two 
teenage boys with a late twenties woman that turns into a three-way love triangle mm-hmm. is the movie that would appeal to me that has unbelievably graphic sex scenes. It's Diego Luna and Gail Garcia Bernal uh, as the two young men. This movie is really good. It's really smart. It's actually very political in a, as you've just been saying about Quiro and a sort of behind the scenes and in the background way. It is blatantly political, but without beating the table. Uh, I think it's incredibly effective and it's in the criterion collection drink. Uh-huh. Uh, my number three, I, this, I, this, I probably shouldn't do this. It's probably ridiculous that I'm putting this ahead of Roma, but my number three is going to be Harry Potter and the prisoner of Azkaban. Hell yeah. Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite Harry Potter movie. I think it's awesome. I like that in that it seems like he kind of gives the fewest fucks about fidelity to Rowling's world and builds out this movie, this sort of like vaguely horny coming of age movie about this kid in a very dark sort of entrapped ensnared place and i love visually how much darker and more restricting and how deeply unchild friendly it is compared to other blockbusters particularly of that era i think it's what like a year a year maybe two years after spider-man which is the most like Mm. woo lights and colors as blockbusters get and this is like here is the misery of a child trapped by his own destiny and all of this complex torturous family history. My number four is Roma, which is his quasi autobiographical uh, story primarily focused on a housekeeper. It's, I don't know why I don't adore this movie. It feels like it should be my catnip. I I respect it. I think it's well-made. I think it's well-acted. I, something about it has always left me just a hair cold. And I don't know what that is. And I'm frustrated that I don't know. I kind of think that number five for me, which is gravity might be the most impressive achievement of his direction and his filmmaking, particularly the destruction of the, of the, whatchamacallit, the space station at the beginning of it in the, in the meteor shower. I think it's just unbelievable visceral filmmaking. It's one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in an IMAX screen. Uh, So yeah, there's my top five. So, um, it is funny that you say that these could be in a different order um, on any on any day because we have the same five. I think that there's a clear five for Quaro, it is a clear five. Yep. Um, and I have them in a different order. So, I hope I'm allowed to use this example, and you can tell me if I can't. But I've mentioned that I'm in a group chat with Oz and our friend Jonathan Macri of the Knicks Film School podcast and their other former law school friend, Yash. Um, You've heard, if you're a crossover listener of the Knicks Film School podcast, you've heard the three of them converse on pods before. Um, And at times, you've seen me do some jump cuts because we've had to cut things out of (laughs) podcasts. Um, So there's a reference that they keep making um, to something that happened in San Antonio. <laughs> and I'm letting you know this now, Oz, the scene in Itumamo Tambien where they get drunk and talk about who they've fucked and who they haven't fucked. And the actual line Itumamo Tambien gets at, and your mom too, um, is what I picture happened in San Antonio. Like how that all happened and how they wake up the next morning and she's gone. <laughs> That's what I imagine happened in San Antonio. Then, like, don't ever clarify it for me. Okay. That's to me when you say, like, San Antonio, it's like, 
Okay. That scene from Ichimama Tambien, that's what I imagine happened. Um, Ichimama Tambien is my number one. I think it is one of the better communities Fuck yeah. that's ever existed. Yeah, I, I think I told you this early in, in the show. Like My relationship to foreign film was very limited because I wasn't a fan of subtitles. I didn't want to have to read a movie and it was a very ignorant way to watch movies because I think that like Bong Joon-ho like lets the 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 little thing at the bottom of your screen the two inch barrier yeah like don't let it be such a barrier and Ichimama Tambien broke that barrier for me and it's why like I'm able to enjoy a parasite or other movies that have subtitles um, that are foreign films or uh, the worst person in the world for example um, okay so Ichimama Tambien is number one Children of Men is number two um I just went through all of some of the directional choices that he made throughout the movie. And I think they're for the better, like whether it be the adaptation, like how he, how his direction of Lubeski's shot choices, like they complement each other so well. Um, I, I, I'm just, I'm a fan of every single thing about this movie, even if it is like a bummer at times. Um, yeah. So I'll go children of men number two. And then I know where I live. And if I did not put Harry Potter one, two or three, uh, there may be a wedding being called off <laughs> in the distant future. I will save my takes about Harry Potter, which are controversial, I think, at this point. I do agree with you. This is the best made Harry Potter. The tonal shift from like the, oh, we're going to fight a, cham- a, a snake in the Chamber of Secrets in in the second one to like there's fucking flying ghosts against the train in the third one and it's like oh they're so cool this is dark these dementors mean business all right um it's the first one that i think deals with literal life and death situations and the serious black of it all um lupem i think is my favorite defense against the dark arts professor as well um yeah, so I'll go. I'll go. Harry Potter number three, and I actually have Gravity ahead of Roma. Um, I don't. Roma's just. I, I recognize its brilliance, like you said, but I think to your your take about how Gravity might be his best directed film, and then um, it's it's last for you. I actually think Roma was the one that he got like showered with accolades, and we thought that was going to break the foreign film streak at the Oscars, and then. Green Book cured racism and now everything's fine. Um, so um, I actually think Roma and look, I did the theater run for it. I recognize its brilliance filmmaking wise. I just get so bored every time I I've tried to go back and revisit it um, while recognizing that it's great. And gravity when she's flipping backwards into space is one of the most terrifying sequences in a movie i've ever seen because you recognize because we've been taught about space works like oh like nothing's stopping her she's not going to slow down at any point she's just fucked sandra bullock is flipping backwards into space with nothing to stop her that is terrifying um so those are my five um i don't have an honorable mention do you I do. Um, okay. I, I think a little princess is fine, but I, my, my honorable mention is great expectations, which I think is pretty good. Strangely, I, it has a real banger cast, especially in hindsight. It's like De Niro and Paltrow and Ethan Hawke and um, Chris Cooper is in there. It's really, 
for whatever reason, though, I think I remember it best for the poster, which is like a topless um, Gwyneth Paltrow laying on a couch thing, um, like laying mm-hmm. on her stomach and like Ethan Hawke's leering face superimposed over her, uh, which is pretty good. Uh, this, this movie, I, I can't pretend that I'm a huge Dickens fan. And this is uh, this is about as good as Dickens gets for me. And the Ethan Hawke of it all is what sold you. Oh, of course. Obviously. He's, he's my guy. So exactly. Shout out Ethan Hawke, friend of the pod. Um, <laughs> next up is Children. What that he were? I was, yeah, I wish he was. You told me he was suave. One kid's a drunk. He's suave. Should have seen him in the old days when he was a real activist. Uh, you were the activist. I just wanted to get laid. One time, the police came to throw us out of our squat, and Theo invited them up for coffee to negotiate, only the coffee was spiked with ketamine. <sighs> you did, did you? Oh, fuck off. you got to be kidding. You know how many people I've tried I this with? You'll be happy to know, out of the hundreds, hundreds. you are still the I'm only not doing one. It. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you the are. car's moving yes, too you much. Yes, you are. Mm-hmm. You are. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> no, wait. Wait. Okay. <laughs> Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> Julian, that's disgusting. <laughs> Look out! Jesus! Go, go, go! We're gonna make it! Come on, we're gonna make it! I'm not gonna make it! I'm not gonna make it! Next up is Children of Men, a top five Clive Owen performance. Um, so it's interesting. He, I didn't notice this the first time, or even before. I like, I did the rewatch and then did research. But apparently Clive Owen Theo does not touch or even does not use or even touch a gun at any point in this movie. That tracks now that I think yeah. about it. Yeah. Because like, he, anytime he's around flying ammunition, he's, you know, protecting, protecting the girl. So that makes sense. Um, he was apparently in, involved a lot in the writing of his character, which most stars are at, at certain points. Um, but they, Quaron attributes a lot of Theo's um, little quips and things about his character to um, Clive Owen um, suggestions. Uh, interesting career, Clive Owen. I feel like some people talk about like could have been better, but actually, I mean, I, I'm curious. Do you think there could have been more roles like this, or at least lead roles like this for Clive Owen? I think a weird thing happened to. Clive Owen, which is that he was christened very early in his career as the next Bond. Mm, And it's happened. It's happened to other actors. And then they get sort of they get sort of sidetracked into this like leading up to Bond build. And I think that uh, Clive Owen would have been a wonderful Bond, kind of a Timothy Dalton-esque one. But it just feels like a lot of his career. He's in this movie called Croupier, which will come up momentarily. And that kind of set him on the path of a guy who seemed to have the skill set. And then you see him doing these movies that are largely like Bond adjacent. You see stuff like Sin City and Derailed that have elements that you might want to take into a Bond character, even a small part in Born, the first Born movie. It's all stuff that feels like it gets you closer because, you know, Bond is not usually like Idris Elba won't be Bond 
because they don't cast people with careers like Idris Elba to play Bond. It you get someone who has skills like Idris Elba but has like eight credits on his fucking resume. You go get like Reggie Jean Page or something like that. Um, I just feel like that that's always derailed him and kind of like hey, worn down his career a little bit when he didn't get it. And then he made fun of it. He did shoot him up, which was kind of like a dark rated R spoof of Bond movies. And I, I, I can't help but feel a little bummed because I think Clive Owen is, is an excellent, excellent actor. And I look at his like IMDB, especially over the last 10 years or so. And I, I just, I feel nothing. And what a bummer for someone that I think is, is, genuinely excellent so much of the time he has done a lot of theater lately so i think maybe that's part of it where he's more of a theater guy who is also doing um who's also doing movies to pay the bills and i think he's good in the tv he does the nick is the most underrated show of the history of television actually but um yeah it just seems like kind of a bummer that he's not a bigger deal that he's like a disposable bad guy in Gemini man or something is, is like where his star is at right now. That sucks. I'm trying to remember if you're the one that keeps telling me that the Nick is if underrated, if, or if it's just a common thing I keep hearing about, if, the Nick. I, if I haven't been the one telling you that I'm telling you that now, okay. I think, the, I think <laughs> if we were going to do our top 10 TV shows, the Nick would be on my top 10 TV shows ever, Ooh, ever, ever. Wow. Yeah. Well, you, so you also, you know how much I adore Soderbergh and he directs every episode. Oh, it's a so okay. That that makes sense. And every every actor in that has gone on to like bigger things. Andre Holland, uh, the the Toby from This Is Us, um, Eve Houston. Oh, word. Eve, yeah, Eve Houston, who's Bono's daughter. It just a lot of people got their start in this. I didn't know Chris Sullivan's in that. Mm-hmm. He plays a just oh. particularly vile like ambulance driver who shakes down. It's a, it's about a hospital in New York City at the turn of the century, the turn of the. Uh, at the turn to 1900 century, and he plays like a like an ambulance driver who shakes people down to get them to the hospital. It's good shit. Yeah, it sounds right with char- with Toby's character arc. And this is us. That this would be his <laughs> natural progression. Um, okay, so I agree with you that Clive Owen, at least especially in this movie, like this decade is his decade. Um, I do not have enough. I don't think to bring to the table as far as like being able to parse through like 11 different performances, which is where I think I'm going to lean heavily on your list here. But I will say um, Children of Men is a, we've we've sung the praises of it throughout this season of of Final Review. And the lead role has to be great though. Like they had to nail that. And I think they did. And it's why that's my number one for him. Um, I think the the way it starts and that he's just kind of going through the motions that that fear on everybody's face in the opening scene when they're seeing that the youngest person in the world has died and he's just getting his coffee because he's, you know, giving up on everything. Like I don't really have anything else to, to offer this world. And obviously, you know, what's happened to his character and, and what's happened to his son, which is why him and, and Julian Moore are not together anymore. But um, I, I, I really am blown away by how well he portrays somebody that's like given up all hope and then suddenly finds hope and it becomes something then to live for again. Um, yeah. I just one, one thing to add in there. I don't want to yeah, take away from your list, but that part you're talking about with the coffee, I, I, I think I talked about it when, when Affleck came up and, and there's a way that 
you you can when Affleck in the way back, you can feel when he way he opens a beer that this is a dude who mm, the drinks tap, for yeah. a reason. And you feel it the way he takes the whiskey out of his jacket and puts the coffee cup on the the newspaper thingy outside the cafe and pours his whiskey in it. It feels so earned of a man who this is this is his routine. He needs that drink as part of the coffee to start his day every day just to get through the day that I just it's a little detail of the performance that I just think is so it's so fantastic and precise. Yeah. And like I mentioned, I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of the details he added, you know, that he said to Quaron, this should be part of Theo's character. Um, Number two, man, talk about a movie that was made with Oz in mind. Um, There's a movie called Closer. Um, or closer. I'm not even sure what closer. It's closer. closer? Okay. Uh, Clive Owen, Julia Roberts, Jude Law, Natalie Portman, uh, sex. Um, (laughs) that's that's all I'm going to say is, is sex. Uh, I made Rosina watch it when she had COVID and she was like, why do people cheat? And I was like, have you seen Jude Law? And then she was like, (laughs) Oh, okay. That's fine. Uh, so yeah, we'll go, we'll go closer. Uh, the the final so there's two key like this is this is his Oscar nomination like the fact that this movie got nominated for an Oscar when we're in the world we are today this movie only gets put on Netflix now or on oh, Apple yeah. TV or something but like this erotic thriller right and there's two key sequences that are like oh this is his Oscar scene and it's when he goes and interrogates Julia Roberts for like are you cheating on me? And she's asking for specific details of what she is doing with Jude Law's. I'm I'm spoiling the movie with Jude Law's character. Um, And then the final sequence in his office with Jude Law, where he's like taking the power back in, in the back and forth uh, is just really great. And it's why, I mean, you mentioned the next bond. It's, it's the moment I looks though, looks like, he could be the next James Bond in that scene. So I'll go, I'll go closer, closer with number two. Um, Inside Man is my number three. Uh, I look forward to doing a heist movie category with you one day because I have no idea where Inside Man ranks. I know it, it ranks very high up there for me. But Inside Man, the Spike Lee heist movie with our boy Chiwetel Ejiofor and uh, two unknown actors named Jodie Foster and... Denzel Washington. Uh, number four is Duplicity, another movie with Julia Roberts, in which it's, I mean, for those of you that are closer to my age, remember Spy Kids? Similar plot line in that, like, they're they're both secret agents and they're designed, they're, they're sent to go on missions to get the other person. And then they realize it's better off if we work together, we'd become stronger. Um, so that's a fun one. And then I really don't have a fifth one. I was going to actually say Gemini man, because I just think this, it's actually a Will Smith CGI scene where he goes, you made a person out of another person. And that's became become my line to go back to, to be like, what's wrong with this movie? <laughs> you made a person. It's very much Ted the truth. When I'm talking about <laughs> Will Smith going for it movies. Um, so I'll go Gemini Man for number five, but I really don't have a number five. I have four very key roles that I enjoy Clive Owen in. And then I turn it over to Oz. What are your top five Clive they're, Owen performances? They're pretty similar. Um, uh, leaving aside that I can't put the Nick on, which would be my number one if I could. Okay. Uh, number one is Children of Men. Um, 
that it's a pretty easy choice. Two is Croupier, which is the movie I was mm. talking about. A Croupier is a, a dealer at a gambling table. And uh, it is about a Croupier who gets involved with a potential robbery at a at the casino where he's working. Uh, it's it's just really, it's really crisply made. He's fantastic in it. This this is a good movie that I hope exists on some streaming service right now that is really worth tracking down. It's one of those performances which you can see immediately, like this is a guy who has something extra going on who's going to make the leap someday. Uh, and I I just I couldn't I couldn't recommend it more highly, particularly for the Clive Owen performance. But it's a good it's a good movie overall. Uh, my number three is Closer. I will say that I saw Closer for the first time. I went to Holy Cross for undergrad, and I was sitting um, in front of a priest when I went to see Closer at the oh, wow. theater on campus. <laughs> so uh, that wasn't awkward at all. Uh, my number four is a film which is probably the peak of his like post-Bond malaise where he kept doing Bond-esque movies. It's a movie called The International. Naomi Watts is also in it. And I don't think anyone actually saw this movie. It's it's made by Tom Tickwer, who's become like the go-to collaborator with the Wachowskis and did like the, uh, what's it called? Sense8 with them and mm-hmm. things of that nature. It's just this very effective spy thriller. I think he's a, I think Clive Owen plays like an Interpol agent or something like that, who are investigating like banker organized crime. There's this absolute banger shootout in the Guggenheim at the end of the movie, which is like, you know, back of the list consideration for best action scenes ever for me. This is a, this is a, this is a very solid movie. I agree with you on duplicity. I think it's a good old school sort of spy caper romance movie, which again is in the kind of post bond mm-hmm. malaise. And I think duplicity is good. And that's my five. I have inside man at six. There's a couple others. I'd, throw out there. I think he's very charming in, in Elizabeth, the golden age, which is an unbelievably terrible movie, but he plays Walter Raleigh, who is one of Elizabeth's suitors. And I think he's incredibly charming. I think he's good in Sin City. Mm-hmm. I think what he does in shoot him up works. I think he has good chemistry with um, Juliette Binoche and words and pictures, which is also a bad movie, but there's a lot of bad movies he's in that. I think he's, he's good, but the stuff around him, not, not there. I think the big takeaway from this Clive Owen conversation is that if you haven't seen the Nick, um, you yeah, should that, that, that's see, seek it out. Yeah. That, that I think this conversation might actually be the thing that gets me to finally go do it. You know, it's, it's 20 hours of happiness. Also, it's only 20 hours. It's two 10 episode seasons. That's it. Oh, it has, it has an ending. It's two 10 episode seasons. Like there you go. Similar to the leftovers was leftover two or three seasons. Leftovers is three seasons. Oh, yeah. uh, it's it's not like the leftovers because the leftovers has it's tonally very different in the first season and the later two. And a lot of people say hate the first season and think you need to grind through to get to two and three. I think they're incorrect. But um, the Nick kind of day one good. Mm-hmm. It's just like right there. This okay. he's yeah. I don't, I don't want to get into the weeds of it because no one has seen it and it's easily spoilerable, but I'm 99% certain it's on HBO max. So you should definitely go watch that. Okay. Ready for a spring break to remember Amtrak's got just a ticket for you and your crew with share fares. You and your friends can save up to 60%. The more who travel, the more you save. Skip the hassle of driving through the Northeast while exploring DC, Philly, New York, and Boston. No middle seats and plenty of legroom are just an Amtrak away. And with stops right in the heart of your favorite cities, you'll arrive downtown, not out of town. Savings start with three travelers. Eight travelers required for 60% discount. Visit Amtrak.com slash sharefares to book. Restrictions may apply. 
Hey, we have a baby. Everyone will join us in the uprising. But we can forget about the baby if the girl even suspects we killed Julian. What was I supposed to do? You saw how he is. Right. He's on death's fucking door. Take it protocol and He's my fucking right. cousin. Luke, he needs a doctor. Don't worry. We'll take care of him. Simon, right? Hi, Simon. All right, sit down, Patrick. Simon's a good fish. So are you. Be proud to know that because of the two of you, the uprising is assured. The baby will stay with us. Where's Farron? He's a fucking dead man. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow, we'll do him then, after we move the girl. Patrick. You have a break protocol again. I'll have to kill you. Next up is Children of Men, a top five film shot by Emmanuel Lubeski, Chivo. Um... So you mentioned when we did our one shot uh, conversation, the happy accident, as Quaron calls it, where during one of the minutes long takes, um, the camera got splattered by blood, uh, by fake blood. And uh, Quaron decided to um, almost ruined days of work by shouting cut, but it got lost in background explosion. And that, that scene, that that camera shot with the blood splatter on the camera is in the movie. And he calls it like a happy accident that it worked that way. Uh, this movie without Chivo is what, Oz? Ooh, that's the question. I don't know, because Quaron is a good director. Like right. you're not gonna you're not gonna get trash from Quaron. So I think it's still a pretty I think it's still a pretty solid uh, dystopian thriller, but it definitely loses the the element that makes it special without him yeah I, I it's like i've been trying to think of a comp like it's not even necessarily like like, like a, a basketball team that like oh you're good if you just have this one player but then you add this other coach or this other like point guard or this other like like one of the best at their craft here and all of a sudden you're a great team you know like the warriors for like 60% of the season, like a solid team. Then Clay Thompson showed up, one of the greatest shooters of all time. And now they're in the NBA finals. See, I knew I'd find the basketball. Here. <laughs> um, I did not think I would be comparing Emmanuel Lubezki to Clay Thompson today, but here we are. Uh, he's one of the, I mean, we've talked about Deacons. We talked about some of the better, the greatest cinematographers ever, but he's one of the the greatest ever. No, is he regarded I, as in? I, in oh the, yeah, the community. Hundred percent. I think Lubeski and and Deacons are the top two at the top of their game right now. It, it gets a little more complex when you talk about where they rank all time and technology plays into it and things like that. But it's very hard to rank cinematography all time, which we'll get to. But um, yeah, I, I think that you just have a clear top two in the game right now, and that's that's Emmanuel and Deacons. So. Trivia about Emmanuel Lubezki. Um, first off, do you know why his nickname is Chivo? You told me it's because I, I asked because I was like, <laughs> I was like, how is his nickname Goat? What a what an immodest like what an asshole thing to do. And you were like, no man, that's because his friends told him he looks like a goat. <laughs> yes. So yes, Chivo means goat in Spanish. And Oz was like, he's not the goat. My like basically the the Michael Jordan Lebron debate has crossed over that. <laughs> When we think of the word goat, we don't <laughs> think of an actual yeah. goat anymore. We actually <laughs> think about greatest of all time. Um, I do that with boats, by the way, uh, the best of all time. Uh, so his nickname is goat because as a kid, he was, he looked like a goat and his 
friends called him Chivo. Uh, <laughs> not as imaginative a nickname as you would have liked for someone that is one of the goats of his craft. Um, a goat that has been nominated for eight Academy Awards for cinematography. Can you name them? Um, all right. So I know he won three in a row. Three in a row, is, yes. Which is Gravity, Revenant, and Birdman. Correct. Uh, I'm certain he's he's nominated for Children of Men. Correct. Uh, I'm in, uh, we, we, the Maliks. So we need uh, Tree of Life. Correct. That's five. Um, the Colin Farrell one, New World. Correct. That's six. Uh, Etu Mama Tambien. Nope. Fuck. Uh, the Timber Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow. That's seven. There's one more. Also directed by Quaron. Did he do? Is Harry Potter's not nominated. Nope. He didn't do that, did he? Great, I don't think so. Great Expectations. Nope. A Little Princess in 1995. Oh, okay. I never I, heard of it to be honest until this, like doing the research for this I, movie. I did not know that that movie had any Academy Award nominations. That's well, they, interesting. Cinematography. This was his first Academy Award nomination wow. for for a Little Princess. Um, all right, let's do it. Your top five Chivo uh, shot movies. Uh, this is incredibly hard. I, I don't really know how I made this list, but we're going to go Children of Men, number one, Gravity, number two. I'm concerned about Gravity at number two because it's so fake. There's like a lot of visual effects in it, but again, that Sandra Bullock shot of her floating away into space, like that is cinematography, whether or not it's also yeah. aided by visual effects, you know? It is. Like, I mean, it, it does get to the heart of what is a huge issue in filmmaking right now. Like what, what is cinematography? What's visual effects? Even like what is makeup? What is special effects? There's a lot of things that are augmented by computers. And I don't, I don't really know how to parse all of it, but I, I'm going to keep gravity in because I think it looks fucking unbelievable. Wait a minute. You might be enlightening me on something here. Yep. So you're telling me they didn't go into space <laughs> to shoot that movie? No, that's the, the that's the Tom Cruise one that's coming soon. Oh, so sorry, Tom Cruise actually go. Okay, you're right. You're right. My bad. <laughs> I got the two mixed up. Gravity <laughs> in any Tom Cruise vehicle. Go ahead. Uh, three. I'm gonna go the New World, which I don't think is the the typical Malick choice. I, I think we've we've this has come up on the pod before. I, I think you and I both agree that Terrence Malick movies are are sort of. Um, Let's call them hey, look, dramatically, dramatically inert. <laughs> hey, look outside. That is ter yeah. every Terrence Malick movie. But they're all very beautiful. Uh, yeah. Remarkably beautiful. And I, I'm going to go with the new world here, which is his um, uh, the, basically the story of Pocahontas um, movie, which I think is a little on the boring side of the ledger, but does look absolutely incredible. Uh, Birdman will be my number four, which is an incredibly effective fake one shot movie and in a lot of ways is an influence on a movie that will come up in the best cinematography list soon. Uh, and for number five, I I'm kind of torn between three here and just to vary it up because I already did a Malik. I'm going to go with sleepy hollow, which I think mm. is an absolutely excellent looking movie. I think it might be the best looking movie that Tim Burton has ever made, even though the movie isn't, isn't perfect. Um, when Casper Van Dien is giving the best performance in your movie, your movie's, not necessarily a championship contender, but boy, does it look pretty. Alan Rickman's in that. He's the yeah. I, I said what I said. Casper okay, Van Dien, Casper Van Dien's okay. the 
I'm not backing down. Casper Van Dien is the best part of that movie. If, if you don't know who that is, that that's Johnny Rico and Starship Troopers. That is, mm-hmm. that is just not a good actor. So mm-hmm. um, shout out uh, Johnny Depp, by the way. <laughs> yeah, been fuck the, off. Been in, yeah, fuck been, off, Johnny Depp. Been in the news for no reasons whatsoever lately. Um, okay, so I went with five very boring picks. They're all Oscar nominees. Um, I, I wait. So did you? Now I think about it. He's got a lot of stuff I've never seen. I got to be honest. He has a lot of early career things Mm -hmm. with titles that are not in English that I I candidly don't even recognize. Like, I I don't know what um, bandido sex is. I I just, I don't. What? Exactly. (laughs) What? (laughs) I don't don't know what, I don't know what Miroslava is. I don't know what Ambar is. I don't know what Solo Contu Perea is, which I guess is the first Quaron movie. Um, I don't, I don't know what these things are. I'm afraid to Google bandito sex. It doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. So it, it doesn't. It, it no. can't be of all that much. Oh, wow. He did Meet Joe Black. Meet Joe Black's a good looking movie. Yeah. Um, not, a, not a good movie, but a good looking one. It's funny. He did Reality Bites, the Ben Stiller movie with I, our, our boy, Ethan Hawke. And there's nothing. This is what I remember remarkable about the cinematography in that. It's the I, writing I, that, I, that sticks out to me. You know, let me let me uh, permit me a hot take here. Yeah. Ben Stiller yes, is a. I know where rem- you're going. I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to go to to the Apple Show. He's a remarkable visual director and always has been. The um, Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which is not a great movie, looks unbelievable. He's like actually, there's some real there's some real talent here that gets even like Cable Guy is a way better looking movie than it has any right to be. He's a pretty pretty damn good director. Oz, what's my I know, favorite, I know, I know, what's my favorite I know. comedy ever, baby? It, it might not be. It might be his least good-looking movie. No, Zoolander is his least good-looking movie, but Tropic Thunder is, is also a Ben Stiller. Did he direct Zoolander? Yeah, yeah, he directed both of them. He did. Okay. Well, or, as, or I think those movies are like bullshit directed. Like there are a bunch of people that kind of team up and do it, like almost like a jackass movie. Okay. Where like the one dude. Uh, Jeff Tremaine gets credit, but it's kind of like Spike Jones also doing it. And Johnny Knoxville is there all the time. Where it's it's kind of all of them as a team. I think that's sort of how how Zoolander was made. But mm-hmm. like when he does his thing, like Walter Mitty, and I think Reality Bites is a good looking movie. I mean, he's a, he's a solid director. Um, so the and everyone only... should watch Severance. Severance is good. Severance is out, is outstanding. So is Escape from Dana Moore. The oh, other yeah, Dana Moore. That that's right. That's good. Um, the the counterpoint to any praise of of Ben Stiller is. Director of Zoolander Two. <laughs> yes, that's the only thing. Only thing I can say. Okay, it's not, it's not good. Um, my top five: Emmanuel Lubezki is our five of his Oscar nominees. Um, I'm going with Children of Men. One, I've talked about it through throughout that just the the floor of this movie is elevated because of the visual language of his cinematography throughout. Um, the the there's more than one like tracking shot action scene to the birth scene is also a one long take and the things he chooses to show and when give you i mean look it's also part of like the other filmmaking elements the the sound design of what's going on outside the production design of the room where the birth is taking place but the cinematography throughout this movie um, really give you an idea of like the, the, the there's people on the run there. You got to keep moving. Um, the, the Michael Caine scene in the middle of this movie where Clive Owen is watching from afar, uh, the way that shot, I think is extremely well done. So just across the board, um, I'm giving Chivo this to be his number one. I'm going Birdman number two. Reasonable. And another thing that you're just enlightening me on, I think you, you did this already, but I keep forgetting 
they didn't just show up one day and rehearse for weeks and then shoot this all at once. <laughs> they this is they never stopped filming. What are you talking? About? This is all one take. Oz, they hide it well. Yeah. Wow. I wow movies. I know you, you you blow me away every time. Um. So then another thing, The Revenant. It's my number three. You're telling me Leo didn't get attacked by a bear? <laughs> That's a good one. Like that would really that there, there's some real feel. To mm-hmm. that, between the costumes and the the puppetry and everything, that that the CGI, it all works very nicely there. I, look, I'm obviously doing a bit here. I'm not kidding when I say like the if you told me that Leo got attacked by a bear for that scene, I'd be like, yeah, okay, it looks super fucking realistic that that bear attack scene. You know, I I love that feeling. It's probably it's why I'm so I, I know you haven't seen it yet, so I won't get into any details. But it's why I'm Top so ja- it's why I'm so jazzed about fucking Top Gun because mm-hmm. you, I genuinely can't tell most of the time when like you, I'm I see a lot of movies and I'm really attuned to when stuff is fake and I, there's so much of it that I genuinely don't know how they did it because it's so effectively real looking I'm sorry I'll stop I'll stop top gun distracting no nah, you're good you're good but we just did a whole diatribe on Ben Stiller we're fine <laughs> we really are fine um so you're telling me guys this is the focused podcasting you're seriously. used to from us um you're telling me that like Doctor Strange didn't actually open a multiverse in the multiverse of Matt. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's pretty easy to tell there. Yeah. Um, my number four is gravity. And then I actually forget. Did you mention Tree of Life in your top five? No, I bumped it for New World. I went I ended up swapping in Sleepy Hollow at the end. So I rewatched Tree of Life because I remember the wow. first time I watched it being so bored and being like exhausted by the pretension of people that swear by this movie. And I rewatched it. It's did you, on Amazon. Did you hold a baby's foot in your hand? As yes. You, I you literally, I literally put the camera on the ground and then ran after a woman that's walking <laughs> away from me in her nightgown. Um, while the dead people of my past all come back to life and walk on a beach. Um, I, I don't even like, I gotta be honest. I don't like this movie at all. I think it's <laughs> extremely pretentious. And I think it's like, it's one of those things where it's, like interpretive art and dance but it's like a movie and it's like but i don't care like none of it i don't care about any of this go to therapy sean penn oh my god um <laughs> the cinematography is outstanding though yeah. and it felt wrong at least for me to not put it on this list i very easily could bump it for burn after reading or eat your mama tambien or some of his other movies for everything but Lubeski, I loathe Tree of Life, but I, I can't say that is it like every single when I was doing the cinematography research for greatest cinematography of all time, every single list I saw had Tree of Life all the way up there. And it's like, all right, like it's well respected and highly regarded. I'll give it my last spot reluctantly. Um, so that those are my top five for, for Lubeski. Um, what are your honorable mentions? Ones you had Revenant, Tree of Life, Etumamatambian. I think that that's a solid list. Yeah, this is absolutely. this is this guy's really good at knowing where to put the camera. Actually, um, one one thing I'll say because it's come up with the one shots and how all this stuff gets done and everything else. Uh, I interviewed a cinematographer for a movie called A Lot of Nothing. I don't know what the distribution plan is. It played at South by Southwest. Justin Hartley from Children of Men is in it, and he starts the movie. Justin Hartley from This Is Us. Uh, Jesus Christ, Justin Hartley from This Is that Us. That would be Justin- a different movie. <laughs> <if> Kevin <laughs> Pearson, if the Manny 
is hey, in Children I, of Men. <laughs> I think Justin Hartley's good in This Is Us, but um, no, he he's the cinematographer of this movie, and this movie is interesting because it starts with a 17-minute one-shot as a black couple realizes that there's been a police shooting of an unarmed black child or an unarmed child, and um, they come to realize that the police officer who did the shooting like lives around the corner from them. It's it's unbelievable and hearing this guy talk about the craft the work that goes into making something like that is is was pretty cool and eye-opening for me because i i don't know enough yet about you know how you pick lenses and things of that nature so check it out on the invention of dreams cheap plug i have another uh honorable mention i didn't realize that he did ali i'm literally oh, yeah, going a pretty good looking movie literally going through his filmography now in case i missed something um I didn't even know the assassination of Richard Nixon. That's not a great movie, but I didn't realize he did the cinematography for that. Okay. That is our top five for Emmanuel Lebesky. One of the greatest, one of the goats, one of the one Chivos. Of the there you go. One of the Chivos. It was Jasper's idea, you know, the whole passport thing. He will piss himself laughing when I tell him about this. He's a cheeky old bastard. So proud of his weed. Sid could get it a lot cheaper from the gangs, but Sid likes to deal with Jasper. Jasper straight. A true gentleman. Ah! Uh, all right. Uh, What's wrong with her? She's sick? Just car sick. She's not going to puke, is no, she? No, she's fine. Puking's bad. Very, very bad. Doesn't wash out. Smell never goes away. Usually, it's people trying to get out of Bix Hill, not in. Sid doesn't know why you want to get in. Sid doesn't want to know. All right. We've got four straight Redux categories, which is why we spent our time on Lubeski, Clive Owen, and Quaron. Let's start with one shots, a Redux. Um, this first came up in, oh, wow. I, I was wondering how we would fit a Ray Liotta tribute. This came up uh, in, our good, yes. in our Goodfellas episode. Rest in peace to, to the great Henry Hill, Ray Liotta. Um, can I tell you something that might cheer you up a little bit? Please. So are, you're did, aware. Did Ted Cruz die? Is that no? One? My God. Greg Abbott, Marco Rubio. You got more. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. We can just keep going. There's a list of. Can we can we print out a list? I, of, I hope. Get of Eric's disease. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I assume that's going to cut, but it doesn't have to. Because I, I think I by, might. I stand by every second of it. I kind of agree. So I don't know if I'm actually going to cut it. But great, leave it. We'll see. Uh, it's not like I'm afraid that people that are, are fans of those spoilers, guys. I'm not a Republican. Five. Yeah. Um, OK, I think Republicans hate those three anyway. OK, let's let's try to go back on track. Uh, good. So um, Ray Liotta, unfortunately, passed away yesterday at time of recording. Um, and you're aware of the Evan Roberts show with Craig Carton on WFAN, yes, yes, course, right? Sure, so sure. Evan Roberts was like, oh, no, Shoeless Joe passed away. And the rest of the show was like, what are you talking about? Henry Hill from Goodfellas passed away. And he like adamantly argued, like, I bet more people know him from Field of Dreams. Ooh. So I'm going to go to the Twitter poll that Evan posted yesterday. And Evan has over 100,000 followers. He got... A, a very large response to this poll. It's up to 20,974 votes. Which movie is Ray Liotta known for? And he put Field of Dreams and Goodfellas. The results are in. 85% Goodfellas. 93.1%. Yes. yes. 
said Goodfellas. If you remember from the Goodfellas pod, I have Field of Dreams ahead of Goodfellas. He is Ray Liotta from Goodfellas. Oh, like I recognize that. Uh, hold that L, Evan. Unfortunately, um, shout out <laughs> Evan Roberts. Uh, Ray Liotta, one of one of one of my one of our favorite actors. One of um that that performance and those performances is going to live on forever. A lot of good late career stuff for mm. him too. It's it's he did a, he, there's like 20 years in the wilderness there, but he had come back so strong with Marriage Story. I think mm-hmm. I've mentioned No Sudden Move, the Soderbergh movie, a few times. She has just a dynamite hilarious scene in i think he's the best part of many saints of newark which is a flawed movie the sopranos movie he's even funny in hubie halloween the fucking uh adam Mm, sandler yeah netflix thing so he has like four or five movies that are done in the can so we we have some we have some ray Liotta stuff to look forward to and he has something called cocaine bear i think about a bear that like eats a duffel bag of cocaine and they need to like figure out how to get the bear across the border or something like that is is that the winnie the pooh thing that i've been seeing no 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 it's like it's it's i think it's a serious ish movie or something i I don't know what it is i I, but i i don't know he's in that so hooray cocaine bear that's that's fairly buzzy we've got a couple i remember when i i went to because he was filming a movie when he passed away and i went to go see what that movie was and then you see like over the next two years he's got seven movies yeah yeah, in post-production that are going to be released in uh posthumously so um rest in peace ray liotta the all of this to say as part of our of our one-shot conversation i believe this was the inception of our mutual love of children of men Yep. Yes, yes, yep. This because this was episode like four. Yeah. So in the one shot conversation, we both had a children of men scene as our number one. So uh it's my turn to go first. My top five then. Um, we we're doing good fellas talking about one shots in movies. Children of men, the car attack um was my number one. Um, the the Julianne Moore scene where they're they're in reverse and it's the camera spinning around the inside of the car. Um my number two is Old Boy, the action sequence in the hallway, which has been tributed and duplicated throughout many a Marvel Netflix show. Shout out Deadpool for coming back. Um, Goodfellas, the Copa scene is my number three. Creed, the first Adonis fight in oh, Creed yep. uh, was my number four. And then the opening scene in Boogie Nights was my number five. And this is going to stay the same. I'm going to keep this as my top five. And I, I gotta be honest. I don't, something would really have to blow me away. Uh, maybe like Adam Scott getting off the elevator for the first time in severance is a contender. Uh, but, uh, the, this is a solid top five for me that I don't see changing anytime soon. Um, your redux of one shots. Uh, my top five was the children of men blood splatter on the camera, uh, shot. Number one, um, the Goodfellas Copa, scene is now going to move up to number two. It had been number three, but oh, okay. shout out Ray Liotta. Uh, my number three, which had been my number two is touch of evil. The, the ticking time bomb in the car sequence, at the beginning of that movie, that movie rocks, by the way, secret in their eyes, the foreign film where they take a helicopter that basically runs all the way from outside of a football stadium, a soccer stadium into the stadium to pick up. So I don't even know how they do this to pick up a chase inside the stadium. It's unbelievable stuff. The movie is quite good too, but even that shot is just worth finding for like the seven minutes on YouTube. And I'm going to stick with atonement at number five, the, mm. uh, Dunkirk shot at the, uh, towards the end of that movie. 
Then we have individual action scenes. Um, the first time we did this was for, uh, I guess the only time we've did this was for the matrix. Um, the, the, uh, bullet time sequence being the, the one I think that we highlighted for, for that movie. Um, your turn to go first on the redux. Oz. I had children of men, the car attack this time, uh, in the number one spot, I had bond versus red grant from, from Russia with love with a little bit of a, you know, recognizing an of its era thing there. Two, I had Eastern Promises, the bathhouse fight with Naked Vigo Mortensen, three, Mad Max Fury Road, the beginning of the chase at four, and the club shootout from John Wick at five. And I don't see any reason to change that list. I'll say that Shang-Chi's boss fight, because I've seen it a quintillion times, is catching up to it. Actually, you know what? Let's, let's bask in the glory and say that the... I don't want to spoil anything, but the action sequence that makes up the end of Top Gun Maverick, I'm going to put that, uh, I'm going to bump from Russia with love entirely. And oh God. I'm going to put, I'm going to redo this. We're going to do children of men, car attack. Number one, okay. Beginning of Mad Max. Number two, John Wick club shootout. Number three, Top Gun Maverick. Number four and uh, Eastern promises. Number five. I am. I'm, I'm going to go see this movie right now. Like I'm leaving the pod. I'm going to go do this. Go see this movie right now. Okay. Go, go give your fellow theater goers COVID. Yes. That's, that, that's what's happening. I'm, I'm sorry. Like we're, we're sorry, everybody. Oz is doing the rest of the pod solo. Um, okay. My top five then were also the car attack scene from children of men. Um, the bullet time sequence in the matrix remains one of my, from the lobby shootout, I'm including the lobby shootout, the roof showdown, the bullet time sequence, and then them saving Mor- Morpheus. I know it's like four separate scenes. That entire thing is going to be the one scene I'm, I'm including. Um, T2 Judgment Day, the mall showdown and the chase scene through the like the, the, the empty river in California. Um, Kill Bill, Kiddo vs. the Crazy Eights was my number four. And then the 30 minutes in John Wick 3 in which he kills Bobon with a book. He the it's really more the knife store fight that happens um in the middle and then the horse exactly like the Oz just did a stabbing someone in the head with a knife sequence. Oh no throwing it's a throw a it's a throw into the book. Yeah. Exactly. A throw of a knife into a person and then eventually a stab motion. Um and then the final sequence um on a horse which I think was my number five then. Um, I've got some change on this though. And so my new top five, Children of Men stays my number one. The Matrix stays my number two. Um, Judgment, T2 Judgment Day stays my number three. Uh, Kill Bill, volume one, The Kid Over's Crazy Ace stays my number four. And I'm bumping John Wick. That's fair. I have to go with my heart here. Um, in a little known movie that... I think might be in the Criterion Collection or not. I'm not. I'm not sure. Known as Fate of the Furious, <laughs> um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson leads out of the side of his <laughs> high-powered tank and sees a torpedo floating next to him, and he pushes it <laughs> with his bare hand and redirects it into the their villain, the the bad guys. While they're being chased by a submarine out of frozen lake for all the stupid reasons of that sentence, (laughs) that is my number five. 
It, it's not even in the top five in the franchise. Of course it isn't. But that let me know what I want. That, that's the epitome <laughs> of the Fast and the Furious franchise. They were repairing cars in the first movie. Now they're being chased by a submarine and redirecting torpedoes. Okay. that That is the ev- evolution of the Fast and the Furious for me. So that'll be my number five. Um, dystopian films is our next category. Um, my turn to go first. We did this actually for Logan. Um, the last time we did this, I think we also did this for the matrix way back. Yeah, when. That's right. Um, so the first time we did this children of men was my number one. I am legend. was my number two. Um, Mad Max Fury Road is my number three and what, uh, no escape from New York, Mad Max Fury Road and Wally were my three, four and five. Um, then when we did it for the matrix, uh, Children of Men was my number one. I Am Legend was my number two. Wally was my number three. The Matrix moved in as my number four. And then Mad Max Fury Road was my number five. Um, and then my new top five is Children of Men, number one. I Am Legend, number two. Wally, number three. America, number, no, I'm playing. Uh, the Matrix, number four. And then Mad Max, five. So that stays my five. I was just say this uh, America sucks. So yeah, that's not, America that's not the way a, yeah. I'm just saying, as far as like top five, I was like, this is a pretty dystopian world that we're living in right I now. Know, that, that that's much more like um, I don't know, the, the Kurt Russell movie Soldier. If we're gonna look for uh, that that's the escape from LA uh there dystopian movies. <laughs> uh you're dystopian, your top five dystopian us. My list has been and will remain uh number one, children of men, number two, Mad Max Fury Road, number three, Wally. Number four, The Matrix, and number five, Blade Runner. Ah, that's right. You went Blade Runner last time, and I reminded everybody that I find it very boring, but I recognize <laughs> why people love it. Um, next one, science fiction movies. Um, it is your turn to go first. So, Oz, your top five on our last Redux of Redux of, of Redux of science fiction movies. My list had been Alien, Empire Strikes Back, Children of Men. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Arrival. I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little fun today. I think that we need a little a little joy in our okay. life. And we need a little we need a little send up of um, authoritarian governments. So I'm gonna bump Arrival off the list. Okay. And I'm gonna put Starship Troopers in my number five spot. Okay. Wow. Well done. I like that. Okay. Well, sci-fi. I listen, spoiler alert for season two, episode one. Um, my number one in sci-fi. I should mention we did this for our alien pod. Um, one of the times we recorded it. Uh, my number one is <laughs> my number one is Jurassic Park. My number two is Back to the Future. My number three is Alien. My number four is The Terminator. Um, the original one from 1984. Um, although I might switch that to T2 before I finish the sentence. Um, and then my number five was Children of Men. Um there's really no sci-fi now that I think about it for what's the sci-fi elements of children of men help me out. I mean, it is, it is, it's hard sci-fi as opposed to like fantastical sci-fi because we're in a world where, I mean, a science, a fictional science thing happens and yeah, it's a world okay. set in the future. I mean, there's future tech, which you watch it now and you're like, this looks pretty similar to what the real world is like now, but they made this in 2006. It's 2022. I guess like compare the other four that I'm talking about to like yeah. children of men. You well, know? yeah, but I don't think there's anything wrong with having hard, uh, hard sci-fi like X let's uh, I would have an alternate would be like X machina. Mm, and that's that, point. that's, pr- I mean, granted it has like robots and shit, but that's 
fairly hard sci-fi. It's played pretty straight or something like Sunshine. I think Gravity can count as sci-fi. Like these are these all fall in that general umbrella. Like I'm not counting Jurassic Park because I think it's more of like an adventure movie, mm-hmm. but it, it has sci-fi elements to it. Okay. No, you sold me. Children of Men stays my number five. Also, Jurassic Park, greatest movie of all time. How dare you? This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Oh, uh, Theo! Yeah. Theo! I'm here. Fuck. It's okay. Everything's okay. Do something! It's looking good, kid. It's looking good. You're doing great. Just, um, just keep breathing. Keep, keep breathing. I am breathing! No, like Miriam said, do you remember? Breathe out. Just think about the out. Just breathe out and, and push. Push as well. That's it. Uh, That's it. Yes, you can. That's you can. Just out and push. Out and push. That's it. That's it. Key, I can see the head. I can see the head. You're doing great. You're doing great, Key. That's it. That's it. It's coming again. Just breathe out and push. Out and push. That's it. Out I and can't. you can. Yes, you can. I fucking can. Yes, you fucking can. Come on. Keep the head's coming out. That's it. You're nearly there. You're nearly there. Just push. Push, Keith. Push. 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 It's a girl. It's a... Key, you've got to go. Next up, we go back to the year 2006 and ask, is Children of Men a top five film of 2006? Oz, one of your favorite movie years ever. You get to guess the box office top five. This is the cumulative domestic top five at the box office this year. Um, Oz, what were the top five movies of 2006? Superman Returns? That was number six. Fuck. $200 uh, million dollars this year, though. Cause I think Casino Royale doesn't make it. Casino Royale is number nine. $167 million this what year. A tr- it, what a trash country we are. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, the, the, uh, the, the really bad X-Men. X-Men. Mm-hmm. X- Brett Ratner's X-Men. Mm-hmm. Last Stand. The Last Stand is number four. Um, Pixar that year would be mm-hmm. Cars. Cars. That's number three. Two hundred. By the way, X Men Last Stand, two hundred thirty-four million dollars. Uh, Cars, two hundred forty-four million dollars. There's two more above it. Ugh. Um. Oh, uh, fucking Johnny Depp. Pirates. Two. Pirates two? of the Caribbean. Two? two. So Pirates of the Caribbean. Colon. Uh, dead man's chest. Dead man's chest. Yes, that's number one at the box office this year. Four hundred and twenty-three million dollars. Happy feet. Happy feet is number seven. One hundred and ninety-eight million that movie made. Ice Age two. 
Ice Age right above it, right below it, right below Happy Feet. Ice Age to the meltdown um, at $195 million. So there's two more that you're missing. We talked about Ben Stiller earlier. Oh, no. Night at the Museum. Night at the Museum, number two at the box office this year, $250 million. Oh, my God. And then shout out Tom Hanks for the last one. Oh, the the most irrelevant like three movie franchise to ever exist that no one mm-hmm. has ever thought of since they came out. I'm I'm guessing it's Da Vinci Code this year. I'm yep. not really sure though. The okay. first one, the Da Vinci Code, two hundred and seventeen million dollars this year. Um, I should mention Children of Men made not a lot. It, it was a loser. It was a pretty significant loser. It's like a seventy five million dollar budget and made like seventy million worldwide. Did terribly. Yeah. Uh, Part of the reason it took him so long to get Gravity made. Found it 35 million at the box office cumulative this year. That's domestically. So, yeah. Um, you mentioned 2006 movie year. What do you, I mean, did, is your diatribe at the beginning the, the plug for 2006 that you, yeah, I, I will think- say this, this year has 19 movies that made a hundred million dollars. And in an era where we're like afraid of movies making a hundred million dollars that don't have a, a cape or a superhero in it. There's like some variety across the top of the board. You know, there's some Oscar stuff in here. I will say that there's a lot of stuff that didn't make a lot of money that I think is unbelievably good. There's also stuff across the entire spectrum from action to horror to war to Western. There, there's stuff in in quite literally every genre that I think has tremendous value this year. I just I, I I'm. Am I first on this one or are you first on this one? Uh, I'm first on this one, but I'm going to switch it up. You go first because I want you to go first for cinematography. Okay. So we struggle all the time about picking with our heart or picking with our mind. Mm -hmm. And for number one on this list, I have to pick the movie that I've probably watched the most times in the last 20 years. And it's not Children of Men. It's, I know it's Casino Royale. Yeah, obviously. So, no, I didn't. I didn't think it would be that obvious. I was so okay. Do you remember when we did There Will Be Blood? Yes. And I mentioned that this is one of the better years that's ever existed. And it is by consensus. Yes. I said it's probably the best movie year of the decade. And then you went. I'm not. 2006 has a couple of bangers. And I just went like to the next page on Letterbox, and I was like, oh, oh. Oh, and then you were like, there's kind of a, a darling of ours. And I was like, oh, yeah. When I saw Casino Royale, it's like, all right. So what's two through five going to be for Oz? So, um, yeah, that's Shout out to our Skyfall pod for also <laughs> letting me know what your number one was going to be today. Uh, two, two and three are essentially tied, but I'm going to put Children of Men 2 and Pan's Labyrinth 3. I think they are uh, both masterful. I think it's Poron's masterpiece and Guillermo del Toro's masterpiece. The uh, Pan's Labyrinth, the fantasy Spanish Civil War film mm-hmm. um, about a lot of weird shit that happens to a girl in the area surrounding her shitty father or stepfather's house. Um, number four, The Lives of Others, which is a film about an Eastern German. Um, I don't know what the right word to call him is a, 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 a listener. He, in effect, listens in on the lives of people to see if they are uh, speaking ill against the state. It's another film that fits in well in our um, in our dystopian times. It's really, really good. I, I think it is 
if I recall correctly, it actually defeated Pan's Labyrinth for best foreign film this year. And I remember being surprisingly okay with that, even though Pan's Labyrinth was a film that really resonated for me. And my number five is a film that I, I mentioned earlier. There, there are just a lot that I feel passionate about on the alternates here, but I, I'm going to go with the queen here because it was very important for me in, in expanding my perspective on what movies can be. And without the queen, we wouldn't have the crown, uh, which comes from largely the same team. So the queen will be my number five. I'm looking it up. The Lives of Others did win for Best Foreign Film yep. this year and did defeat Pan's Labyrinth that year. Reasonable choice. Yes. Um, okay. So Oz just named five very prestige criterion. Four. 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 Four and then his favorite James Bond movie, which I respect. Um, my number one is a movie... Mission Impossible 3. Or something. Yep, totally. <laughs> um, my number one is a movie I've mentioned uh, way back when in our Dark Dark Knight episode, um, because this is the year that Christopher oh. Nolan released The Prestige. Uh, this is the movie with um, new star of the MCU, Christian Bale, and potentially new star because a multiverse is a thing of the MCU, uh, Hugh Jackman along with the star of Children of Men, Michael Caine, and future star, oh my gosh, of the other... Wow, everybody in this movie could end up in the MCU um, because uh, Scarlett Johansson is in this. Rebecca Hall is in this. She was in Iron Man 3. Um, All this to say, these are two uh, dueling, competing magicians trying to create the greatest trick of all time. And it is a perfect allegory for the cost of... uh, earning an audience's applause and what, how, how much of yourself are you willing to give up in order to achieve that? And I think it's relevant as the ways to achieve applause have changed and the ways people have compromised themselves morally have led to achieving said applause. Look no further than the clout chasing of our own current political climate here in the United States. I'm very Heavy episode, as you can't tell from from both of us listeners. Uh, my number two, I'm not going to talk about much because, for obvious reasons, the subject matter of the person who stars in this movie is just a bummer right now, and it's the pursuit of happiness. Um, I don't want to talk about Will Smith. I just, I just can't. I, I I'm not there yet. I maybe in like a year when year one of his band is up. Uh, I'm just, I, it's a bummer and I don't want to talk about it. Um, but this pursuit of happiness remains a very high up there for me. And it's number two. Uh, I know you're not a fan of the performance by Jack, but I love The Departed. I love that movie. <laughs> I fucking love, love this movie. The cat and mouse of Leo and Damon are incredible. The Even the bad uh, Michael Sheen accent is great. The Alec Baldwin uh, accent, I actually think is hilarious. Uh, uh throughout this movie, um, uh, this, this, this is, I mean, I don't know if I have to tell you people what the plot synopsis of the part is, just go watch it if you've never seen it. Um, but this is like an infiltration of the, um, Irish mob in Boston. Uh, and whether or not a cop pretending to be in the mob is able to catch a, mob guy that has infiltrated the Boston Police Department and it's it's outstanding. Um, my number four is Children of Men, Our Darling of the Day. Um, it's probably the best movie of the four that I've met, met, uh, listed so far. Uh, 
there's just three others that I enjoy watching more. And then number five, I have to be true to myself and I got to laugh a little bit. And the Tropic Thunder Forever will be the movie I go to for like, I laugh the hardest every time I watch this. In my top five, Oz, is the movie Borat. Yeah, I like Borat. Um, it's, not, it's on my list. Oz, when he and his fat assistant or friend um, fight and wrestle naked through that convention center in the middle of this movie... I like legitimate. I'm pretty sure I peed my pants in the theater when I saw it the first time. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, so yeah, Borat is my number five with a long list of honorable mentions. Yeah. I have a stunning list of honorable mentions here. Um, I'll just, I'll throw a few out there and then we can do our, our usual pitter patter back and forth. Yeah, rapid fire. Uh, United 93 is a masterpiece. Mm, I just yeah. wish it didn't exist. So um, yeah. Masterful film. The descent is one of my favorite horror movies ever made. I think it's fucking fantastic about, about, I think it's like a half dozen women who go spelunking mm-hmm. and find that there are uh, horrible creatures that live in the cave. Half Nelson. I mentioned croupier as a sort of like how Ryan, how, how Clive Owen gets on the map. Half Nelson is that, but for Ryan Gosling as a drug addicted teacher who forms a pleasant relationship with non scandalous relationship with one of his students, uh, letters from Iwo Jima mm. might actually be, it's up there. Clint Eastwood movies for me. It's probably top three Clint movies. Uh, it's the Japanese side of his duology with Flags of Our Fathers. Uh, and 10 will be departed for me. Um, I have a very close number six to my top five is The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, yeah, it's um, good. Hathaway, Emily Blunt, and all trying to earn the approval of a Meryl Streep. I think this might be my favorite Meryl Streep performance, which is um, kind of um, uh, blasphemy when you consider twenty-one Oscar nominations. I don't, but, I don't, I don't think it's blasphemy at all. She's acting instead of mimicking. Okay, I cannot wait to do a Meryl Streep episode. Now. Hey, look, m- mimicry's not acting, and Meryl Streep's an unbelievable mimic. She's not always a very good actress. Oh, hold on, hold on. So you're. I I want you to realize you're calling Meryl Streep overrated and who else did the same easily happily. Oh no, don't, don't do that. I'm just Fuck re- you. Re- recognizing the company that you're keeping here. Fuck you. I'm just saying, realize the company you're keeping here where you're calling Meryl Streep overrated. I, I stand by it. Okay. That, so he that, got one right. Broken clocks saying. can be right once a day. Okay. The blind squirrel found himself an acorn. Yes. All right. <laughs> um, okay. Inside man would be a number seven. We've talked about it on this pod. Um, the holiday would be by number eight. Um, we talked about it on this pod. Speaking of Jude law looking as attractive as he has ever. So we, you haven't made the Kinsey scale joke, but very clearly Jude law is where your Kinsey scale goes. Yes. haywire. So absolutely. <laughs> um, are you excited for skeleton crew? Yes. Every single thing Jude, Jude law is just, there's a three year run where time could have went with their or people magazine could run with their sexiest man alive and just been like, all right, Jude, like it's you go ahead. Uh, Casino Royale will be my number nine. Um, and Pan's Labyrinth will be my 10, but I just want to shout out snakes on a plane for being <laughs> the type of stupid fun that I enjoy in a movie. So there snakes on a plane would be a number 10.5 um, rapid fire. Let's do it. You first proposition. 
the Western, the Australian Western. Um, um, click the Adam Sandler. <sighs> okay, uh, I, I think there's actually some very effective dramatic work, especially the Henry Winkler scenes. Henry Winkler is a, is good in everything, so I can't speak mm. ill of him. Uh, Brick, the Ryan Johnson movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Talladega Nights, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Little Children. Uh, Nacho Libre. <laughs> Very different universes, the two of us. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Apocalypto, but forever fuck Mel Gibson. Uh, Lucky number 11. Wow, I've never thought of that movie in a very long time. Uh, Blood Mm -hmm. Diamond. I actually got forced to watch Lucky number 11 in my old gig because we did a gambling show and they wanted Uh, like a line from that to be the intro (laughs) to that. And it's like, all right, I'll watch this movie. Oh, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. Uh, It's It's pretty fun. Shout out Zack Snyder, 300. Uh, Volver. Um, am I out? Oh, wait. To- Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift is the, this year. Arguably the better magician movie of 2006, The Illusionist. Mm, the Illusionist, yeah. Um, I like The Illusionist. I'll say that. I think, I mean, I'm obviously biased. I've made my, my I've planted my flag, as, <laughs> as you well know. Um, I think I'm going to be out. So go ahead, rattle off. Uh, Poseidon. It's very bad, but I like it. Uh, Marie Antoinette, Lady Vengeance, A Scanner Darkly, Superman Returns, Fuck Brian Singer, and we'll we'll wrap it up with Mission Impossible Three because Tom Cruise forever. I lied. I found two more. Um, Accepted. This is the introduction of Jonah Hill into my life, where Justin Long and Blake Lively create a fake college. Oh, I yeah. remember that movie existed. Yes, and then uh, the breakup. The very uh, meta movie about. Vince Vaughn and um, Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston. Aniston yeah. Also, a bad job by us. Little Children is this year. This is the. Yeah, I said that. I had that oh, you my... said this. Okay. Yeah. All right. Bad job by me for not listening to you when you said that. Um. Okay. And I don't know why I remember this movie, but it had a long cable run. Uh, failure to launch the Matthew McConaughey movie with Sarah Jessica Parker. I'm not even saying like I I like it or recommend it. I just remember. Uh, I remember seeing one of the greatest quarterbacks of all times, but in the middle of this movie and being like, this is now what I remember this movie for. Like Bradley Cooper is in it. This is the movie he met Justin Bartha on before he then lost Justin Bartha in the hangover. Um, And yet what I remember about this is there is a nude scene with Terry Bradshaw, three times Super Bowl winning Terry Bradshaw. He plays Matthew McConaughey's dad. Um, Yeah. I met Terry Bradshaw once. He's a very nice guy. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Oh, good for Charity poker thing. Nice guy. Uh, does this make your, does Children of Men make your top five of the 2000s? It does. I haven't revealed any of my top five of the 2000s yet, largely because we haven't done many movies that were made in the 2000s. Interesting. Uh, okay, Children, so Children of Men will be fourth place for me. Okay. So it was your number two or three? Because Pan's Labyrinth was two or three. Wait, Pan's Labyrinth is on... I've put Pan's Labyrinth on my just breaking form from here. I put Pan's Labyrinth on my 2000s list. I 2006, I thought. No, I put Pan. Oh, sorry, Pan's Labyrinth was three. I was Casino Royale, Children of Men, Pan's Labyrinth. That's what I was asking. So oh, I, guess sorry, I, I think, thought you said when you did your top five that it's either two or three. Like you could interchange. Oh yeah, yeah. Pan's Labyrinth or Children of Men. So I was like, all right, well then is is it two then Children of Men? So I guess it has to be. Yeah, two was Children of Men was two. So I, I thought you were saying, and I just didn't remember it, that I'd put Pan's Labyrinth at like number two in the Spider-Man episode or something or Logan. Nope. And I don't think I had. Nope. 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 Ah!
I was carrying the baby up the stairs. I started crying. I've forgotten what they look like. They're so beautiful. They're so tiny. Julian was wrong. She thought it could be peaceful. But how can it be peaceful when they try and take away your dignity? We need him, Phil! We need the baby! We need him! It's a girl, Luke. A girl. I had a sister. Big category to wrap up the pod today um, is Children of Men featuring a top five cinematography ever. Um, I lied. I'm going to get my five out of the way very quick. So that way Oz can tell us the actual top five cinematography ever. Um, So my number one is going to be a little movie called Blade Runner 2049. Whoa. Salute to Roger Deakins. It is. Listen, I'm not even a big fan of the Blade Runner world. And I had to have Deacons as a number one for me. Wow. I listen, the cinematography in that is breathtaking. The, I don't dis- I don't disagree. I just it, it's not shots. a typical selection. I think it's great. I think it's yeah. beautiful. Uh, wow. Yeah. I'll go Children of Men 2. Um I have Tree of Life on my list at the very bottom of like number 11. I just wrote down like a bunch that I would consider and I just nah, I'm good fam. Um I have, I'm considering putting two Robert Ellswit movies on here, but I'm not there yet. I'm going to go James Laxton, number three for Moonlight. Um, okay. That'll be my number three. That's a fair choice. Um, I can't do double Deacons. I'm thinking 1917 because that's like the thing that works the most in that movie. Um, but instead, for my four and five, will be two Robert Ellswit movies, Good Night and Good Luck, and then There Will Be Blood. And wow. then those, those will be my top five for right now, with a very close honorable mention, Harris Savides, I think is how you pronounce the name, uh, for Zodiac. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, All right, Oz, take it away. Your top five cinematography ever. If you want to expand on like what you look for in cinematography, go ahead. So, look, this is the beauty category on some level, but cinematography encompasses a lot of things. Like what looks the prettiest is part of it. And if that were the only consideration, then I'd have like the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford on here, which I do not. I also think camera movement um, is a huge element of this. It all interplays together with direction and editing and production design. There's kind of a whole melange here, but I think if you were to think of it in a simple way, what cinematography is, it's how does the movie look what what does the visual language of the movie convey to the viewer and there was a thing i saw recently on twitter and i will admit that i i i tweaked my list because i was offended by this thing on twitter because it had like a hundred thousand likes or something like that mm-hmm. and it was someone putting a shot from no way home <laughs> next to a shot from this movie and saying how the shot in the second movie was so dark, it was so hard to see what's going on. It needs to be better lit, like No Way Home. Um, regular listeners will know that I, I think No Way Home has a lot of virtues, but it looks like dog shit. The movie that it was compared to is The Godfather. Um, so I'm going to take 
Gordon Willis for The Godfather as mm-hmm. my number one in cinematography, in part because I'm 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 angry at how stupid people are and how they think that light is good. The whole point of what The Godfather does visually, thematically, is that it forces you quite literally to look into the darkness. It's why the Sicilian arcs, when there's much less crime happening, are so well lit and bright and easy to see everything. When you look at Brando in The Godfather, it is bathed in darkness. It is thematically appropriate. When you look at that man, you're looking at the darkness possible in humanity. And Gordon Willis with Coppola is telling a visual odyssey of the fall of goodness in this family. And I'm just, I, I'm baffled by the stupidity of the average viewer who, who thinks that the hundreds of thousands of people who like this tweet, who think that like Andrew Garfield in front of a green screen looks better than the Godfather. People are so illiterate. It, it hurts my soul. Um, so the Godfather is going to be my number one. My number can, I, two- can I just real quick go on Please. record? I also think the Godfather looks better than <laughs> I, I'm the no way home defender on this spot. They're two different worlds. Okay. Yes. No way home is great because they put three Spider-Men in it and it works yes. not for a single filmmaking element. Okay. Maybe visual effects, which are questionable at certain points. Um, my number two is mm-hmm. uh, Roger Deakins is my favorite cinematographer. So I have to have Roger Deakins on this list. I think his most impressive technical achievement is a film where I think I wrote about it when it came out. And then I got yelled at by a PR person because I broke embargo, even though I wasn't reviewing it as a professional critic. I got into a screening and just wrote on my letterbox about it. Not for anybody. Um, But that's 1917. And I think that 1917 is just an unbelievable technical achievement. I think it's astonishingly beautiful. And when you combine the fact that it's about as good looking as a movie can be with the fact that it's also as accomplished technically from camera movement, from the one shots, which look, yes, it's like seven shots, not one, but the fact that it is, it is so beautiful with such achievement. It's just, it's truly mind blowing to me. I can't quite process how it's done. You mentioned to start this, like the manipulation of light being part of cinematography and an underrated aspect, or at least I'm sure you, you you recognize, but I think a lot of people that, see that and see the one take nature of it don't recognize like the passage of time throughout the day being consistent in how a day's like where the sun would be that day gets slowly darker and darker and darker in a normal passage of time over the course of like a full day and then the sun rising the next day that 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 takes skill and it takes attention to detail and it's i listen i didn't want to have two deacons on here i probably should but 1970 is an outstanding choice and it fits my light and dark motif with mm-hmm. the Godfather that it has to do with where he is emotionally in his arc, where the George McKay character is, that the film is at its darkest. Huh? Hmm. Funny how that works when he's at the darkest part of his quest. My number three is a movie that I think is boring. I, I really do. I don't care for this movie. Uh, it's Nestor Almendros's work on Days of Heaven, but that movie looks fucking fantastic and it is unbelievably influential in the way that we think of visual palettes in modern art films and what beautiful movies can look like. We just wouldn't have the work that like Luz Becky does or like Robert Ellsworth or the work that people like that do without 
the work done in Days of Heaven, which is early Terrence Malick. Like the movie's the movie's fine. It's perhaps it has more plot than some of the other recent Malick movies, uh, but it's unbelievably beautiful. My number. F- oh man, I want to change these around. I, I'm gonna. Ugh. I already shouted out Touch of Evil on the um, one shots, so I'm not gonna shout it out again now. And I'm gonna put uh, uh, Asakazu Nakai, who's the cinematographer of Seven Samurai, mm. in my number four spot, which is an unbelievably beautiful movie, which defines so much of what epic visual filmmaking looks like, what filmmaking on scale looks like. Pretty much every science fiction movie you've seen in your life uh, owes a debt to the work that Nikai did. Like everything from Star Wars is inspired from something in Kurosawa and Nikai is responsible for defining that visual language. And my number five, I'm God, I don't know what to do here. I'm going to say Emmanuel Luzbecki for Children of Men. Oh, it made it. It's going to make it. It's going to make it. I like it too much. It the it. shots are too impressive. I, I it, it should make it. I think it should make it. Um, but I'm, I'm going to keep vamping. The, the other two that I've been torturing over are Touch of Evil, which is uh, just an on unbelievably good noir film uh, with a killer one, one shot to start it. That's Russell Meddy. And the one that's really torturing me is it actually has like three cinematographers, but uh, Wong Kar Wai's in the mood for love, Mm -hmm. which um, American audiences are are kind of familiar with now entirely because of everything everywhere all at once, which has shot for shot homages to in the mood for love in it. I'll throw Blade Runner, Raging Bull, Citizen Kane, Lawrence of Arabia, which is incredibly important in establishing, you know, like epic scope and scale filmmaking, like Panavision style, ultra wide shots um, in the mix. And I, I pick a Robert Ells, Ellswit to toss the end there. There will be blood. Good night and good luck. Whatever. One of those. I, I think it's appropriate that the final category of season one is you Professor Eyes getting to go through your catalog <laughs> for a major filmmaking category and telling letting us know what you think is the greatest cinematography of all time. Well done. Uh, Love well done. this category. Yes, well done. Dylan. Uh. I'll call my baby Dylan. It's a girl's name too. Let's wrap up your score, your final score of your final review of Children of Men. All righty. Uh, Quaron, five points. Clavo and five points. Uh, the Goat, five points. <laughs> One Shots, five points. Action Scenes, five points. Dystopian Movies, five points. Sci-Fi, three points. 2006, four points. The 2000s, two points. Cinematography, one point. Overall score of 40, which I believe makes it my third highest scoring movie ever. Yeah, it sounds right. Um, which Qua- feels right. That sounds right too. Yeah, it feels right. Um, 
Quaron, four points. Um, it was my number two. Clive Owen, it was my number one. Lou Besky, it was my number one. One shots, number one. Individual action scenes, number one. Dystopian, number one. Sci-fi was number five. 2006, it was my number four. Uh, didn't make my 2000s list. And then for cinematography, it was my number... Oh, I did math bad. Um, uh, it was my number two. Uh, which improves my score. I thought it was a 34, but it actually is a 36, which we're going to put out a graphic of where I have a lot of 36s. Like uh, the the 33 to 38 range for me is stacked. Um, so I'm sh- it does sound right that this is in the 72nd percentile, though, the, that this is toward the top of, you know, it's 72% of the Hall of Fame, you know? I think it, I think this came out in the right place. Yes, I agree. Um, and holy shit, what a rewatch! Just, I, I, man, go. I, I wish it wasn't so prevalent. I think we, we both had kind of a rough week. Um, but like, regardless, this is this. What's gonna suck is that it'll be prevalent probably if we rewatch it in five years in twenty twenty seven when this movie is set. But you know, onwards and upwards anyway. I, know. I, I, yeah, I, I got, I got, I got nothing. I, I, I promised myself I'll be good and not, not get into a rant about school shooting, but I will say that, um, boy, I, I'm, I'm not usually one for the optimism and the hope, but let, let's not give up and fall back into our routines and pretend that this uh, didn't happen. Let's, uh, you know, I, 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 I challenge everyone to learn about some of these kids who, who died. Because I think that learning about these kids is a way to personalize it. And I think it's a way to force yourself to take a little bit of action. It's a way to force yourself to hold yourself accountable when you you consider what your priorities are, when it comes to how you donate money, when it comes to how you vote, when it comes to how motivated you are to vote in the future. So that that that's my challenge for the listeners is just read their, their, their great profiles in the Times and the Washington Post all over. Um, about each of these kids, little things that they, they enjoyed little, little things they were passionate about. Hell, a lot of the kids got, um, got academic awards the morning that it happened. Um, I, I, that, that's, I, I couldn't help myself, but to mention it. Cause frankly, I have two little kids. It's the only thing on my mind these days that that's my challenge to you listeners. So, um, thoughts and prayers are meaningless. Change is meaningful. So let's try to, let's try to make America a little bit better. Similar to the arc of Theo's character in Children of Man, <laughs> um, trying to find hope in a hopeless dystopian world. Um, you know, but this is this is how you find something to believe in is try to personalize it and hopefully it thrusts you into action like Theo um, in this movie. As we've completed season one, a final review. We did it. What would you like to say to the listeners? Thank you. Uh, to, to be on a happier note, thank you. It's it's actually it it's been incredibly cool for me. I know Andrew, you you've you've podcasted for years. I haven't, and it's been cool for me to make relationships through the internet, make friendships through the internet, just based on this show. Uh, it, it's a little surreal, but it's it's pretty cool to see you know people reach out and say, "I watched the before trilogy." And it really spoke to me. What else should I be watching? Stuff like that's incredible. So thank you. Thank you for giving us a chance. Thank you for listening to our our rambling two and a half hour episodes. And 
we're going to be back soon. We're going to be back better than ever. Frankly, we're not going anywhere. You're getting bonus episodes for Thor and Jurassic World and Top Gun and all the big movies over the summer. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to season two. I'm looking forward to seeing how we can tweak and refine the format. Feel free to reach out with any any constructive or not so constructive criticism. <laughs> um, I, I'll echo a lot of what Oz just said. Um, I mean, look, I, it's become a running joke how extensive Oz's movie knowledge is. And I, in my attempts to keep up, I feel like I've gone to a semester of... <laughs> grad school um trying to learn about the film industry and a lot of these movies um and and these things that were just mindless things to watch on cable that are now me trying to entrench them as as an adult uh i i think this was a fun experience for me to learn how to talk about movies in a certain way i owe it to my partner in crime um across from me that pushes me to be as good at, at this as I'm as I'm trying to be. And look, to those of you listening, you do not understand the uh satisfaction that comes and the 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 yeah. the day that gets made when you say you watched a movie because we recommended it. 100%. That is that is like the goal of this is for us to um maybe enlighten you to movies adjacent to the movie that we're covering that you might also enjoy. So like in Oz's case, the before trilogy, I had someone reach out to me in my DMs. Um, he was also asking where our children of men episode was. <laughs> but he was saying how he's listened to a lot of our episodes at work like multiple times. And like I as somebody who like puts a lot of like time into the, the editing process of this, like to hear that is like, oh wow. So like you're repeatedly enjoying this. And I know that, that means a lot to Oz as well. So uh so thank you everybody for listening to season 1. As Oz mentioned, we'll be back with season 2. Um before you know it, we'll have a bunch of pretty soon hopefully we'll have a Top Gun Colin Maverick review that we can can put out for all of you and hopefully that's sooner rather than later because one of us wants to get out of his apartment. Um but uh Oz, anything you'd like to plug one final time before we get out of here? Yeah, come come follow the the writing work I'm doing at the invention of dreams.com. Uh, we have Tribeca Film Festival coverage coming up this month and Obi-Wan and the boys and all, all sorts of stuff is coming that we'll be talking about. Hey, absolutely. Thank you, everybody. Again, if you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and review. We'll see you soon when you can tune in next time for another final review. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.